The views, opinions, and comments expressed by hosts, guests, and callers of this show are not necessarily those of this station, its parent company, TeleSouth Media, its staff, management, or advertisers. Content of this broadcast cannot be duplicated or used in any way without the express written consent of TeleSouth Media Incorporated. Now, join us for Advisors Roundtable with your hosts, Certified Financial Planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus. It's professional advice for your life. Welcome to the Advisors Roundtable, Certified Financial Planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus, with you right here on Super Talk Radio. So, Bubba, you turn on the television these days, especially on the business news, and you hear about an inverted yield curve. (laughs) Yeah. Now, first of all, um, uh, do we have to explain it that way? Um, it sounds more technical and more advanced when you talk about it that way. The inverted yeah. yield curve. And you, and you think back to the Top Gun days, right? When, when Tom Cruise says, because I was inverted, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, let's talk about what's the yield curve in the, in the first place. And then... Which which way is it usually uh, the the slope of it, and then what does it mean when it's inverted? Okay, okay. so what's a yield curve? A yield curve is is basically um, think of it as a, a scatter graph. Okay, okay, with a line drawn through it. Okay, so you've got certain points on this this graph, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. that are representative of present day interest rates. Okay, on various types of instruments. Okay. So typically you're looking at that on the 10-year treasury, okay. right? Or, or a treasury note of some sort. Mm-hmm. So uh, ranging from uh, one month to three months to six months to a year to two years to three years to mm-hmm. four years to five years to 10 years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And you can imagine that if you've got, uh, say, a one-year treasury, and I'm just going to make some numbers up here, mm-hmm. but a one-year treasury that's paying uh, 1.5%, and a two-year treasury that's paying 2.5%, and a three-year treasury paying 3%, mm-hmm. and a four-year treasury paying 4%, mm-hmm. there's kind of a slope upwards, yeah. right, along right. that graph. So let's talk about the logic of that. Why would uh, Daddy Warbucks fill mm-hmm. over here, our executive producer who's mega wealthy, why would he need to have more interest on a five-year note as opposed to a one year what, what, well well think of it logically right mm-hmm. uh if you're going to tie your up money up for a certain period of time mm-hmm. you want to be compensated to a greater degree or greater level for that that only makes sense right? makes absolute sense when you look at it from the point of view of a bank mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you can go and buy a six-month cd for you know 0.5 percent mm-hmm. or you can buy a five-year cd for one percent mm-hmm. right? and i'm making those numbers up right. again but right. Right. Uh, you need to be compensated for the amount of time that you're willing to tie your money up. All right. So that's why in normal circumstances mm-hmm. that the yield curve mm-hmm. and these interest rates are called yield. That's, right. That's what your money is yielding. Mm-hmm. If Phil puts $100,000 in a two-year instrument, what is his yield? What is his interest? interest that they're paying that's right right Mm -hmm. and so in normal circumstances we expect it to be upward sloping that's right we expect that as we plot it on the graph that every year as time goes out if time is on the bottom axis 
than as we go out that the interest rate paid mm-hmm. and measured on the vertical axis right. will be more and higher. Correct. Okay. So that is a normally constructed mm-hmm. yield curve. That's right. And then now they're talking about it being inverted. Mm-hmm. Inverted means probably sloping the other way. Sloping the other way at, at probably an inflection point. Okay. Right? All right. Um, so I'm going to say probably the two-year treasury right now is is trading somewhere. Uh, actually, the three-year tra- treasury is trading somewhere around 3%. Okay. And a 10-year treasury may be paying a little bit less than that. Oh, or a, a, a four- or five-year treasury may be paying a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. So it, as you're looking at this curve, mm-hmm. and it's generally sloping upwards, right? And it right? gets to a point. And it gets to a point, and then it kind of starts to slope downward from that point. So what's happening? So you're not being compensated no, for holding not. your money yeah. further than three years. Because a minute ago, you told me if I let you yeah. hold my hundred grand for five years, you're going to give me more mm-hmm. than you you would if I let you hold it for two years. That's right. Which makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. If you're holding my money longer, yep. you ought to pay me more rent mm-hmm. or more interest, right? That's right. So what in the world happened? What, what happens to to cause it to to go down? Is there something psychological that happened in the market? Is something structural? What's going on in the economy that somebody has the yeah. gall to tell me if you leave yeah. it here five your money's years, not worth as much to me over 10 years as it is three years yeah. it's basically what they're saying that's basically what they're saying mm-hmm. so what happened what what, what changed what what, what what caused this to happen structurally that now it's inverted it's yeah. headed downward You've, you've had a rapid rise in interest rates on the shorter end, okay, uh, and, and it hasn't necessarily reflected on the longer end. Okay. All right, so does that mean that people expect it not to last that long? Uh, Usually. Okay. All right, and psychologically, they're thinking, you know, what we're going through now, mm-hmm. you know, is it, is it weird? Is it strange? Is it... Uh, a reason for me to reconsider putting my money out there at risk for the long period of time. Mm-hmm. And over time, that is reflected in the interest rate, right? Right. So is this an indication of a possible recession where people are concerned about their money, they're concerned about what's <coughs> happening to their money, they're concerned about the interest that they can get on their money short and long term, and so maybe not as much investment out there? So you use two words there, indication and possible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that historically speaking, when we have seen uh, a yield curve invert, mm-hmm. it has been a leading sign of a recession, mm-hmm. but not always. Right. right. Many of the times that you have a recession, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that portion of the yield curve will invert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Everybody's waiting on pins and needles for mm-hmm. somebody to tell them that we're in a recession. Right. Is it? Can you open up your eyes and look around? <laughs> I, th- I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it any wonder? Right. Uh, it, 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 is it a secret mm-hmm. that 
things are just not yeah. kind of normal. I'm going to pick on the president uh, mm-hmm. here, and maybe I need to do this in the next uh, next segment, but I want to pick on the president because mm-hmm. I heard a radio blurb uh, basically of him quoting saying, uh, month over month, uh, inflation went to zero, <laughs> which is totally not true. <laughs> There was zero growth in inflation month over month. Right, right, right. Uh, now, we're not going to bore you in this entire, st- uh, entire show with economics, I promise. We're going to come back and we're going to p- apply this to your wallet here from the Advisors Roundtable on Super Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable, Certified Financial Planners Bubba Labus, and yours truly, Greg Cooley, with you here on Super Talk Radio. So, Bubba, is it, is it admitting failure? If you're some policy person or some elected official, if you say, yeah, we're in a recession, if you just come out and say it, tell us the truth. Yeah, I I think that recessions are normal parts of the overall economy. Mm. They're going to happen without a doubt. Um, And and to talk about a recession, you've got to talk about what's the definition of a recession, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, a recession is defined as two quarters in a row where you have negative growth. Negative growth. Negative growth. Okay. Now, you can still have growth. You can just have negative growth. It wasn't like what it was. Right. Right. So I gave the example uh, just over the break here. Um, let's say, and they, and they judge by, that by GDP, gross domestic product, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And gross domestic product grows at a certain percentage every quarter, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. that's how they measure it, sure. right? Sure. And say that that has been, uh, been growing or hovering at, at 4.1%. Okay. And then next quarter, that GDP goes to 3.7%. Okay. And then the next quarter, it goes to 3.6%. Okay. Well, technically, that would be a recession. Oh, right. It was, but it you're was, still growing at three point six percent. All right. And then you ask yourself, well, then why am I not growing positively? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, c- continuing to go up, right, with my growth pattern. And we've had a number of contributors to this. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, you got the supply chain thing and the the war in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. and then because you couldn't get the supply, then the price of of products and food and right. other things went up right because you had dollars chasing less supply which creates inflation which created inflation which um, means that the fed's probably going to go up on interest rates mm-hmm. to try to control that and that contributed and then we got this tight labor market uh, we've talked about the, the great resignation in america all that happened at the same time and it seems like uh, that's a number of different factors that go into it, right? Yeah. It's not one singular cause, Mm-mm. right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And along the way, you had mm-hmm. higher gas prices. Right. You know, I, I just keep throwing them on. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, people piling on the pile. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the poor guy at the bottom, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, you know, I don't like to play this game on the playground. But as, as all these contributing factors get piled on there, it's going to make GDP go down. So are all these contributing factors, are they related to one event? Probably not. So you can't trace it back and say COVID is what caused all this as a trickle-down or domino effect. It, but not all of it. Right. And I can't say that Mr. Putin and his decisions and, mm-hmm. and how barbaric he's acting in Ukraine right. caused all of it. 
But it contributed? Or the fact that there was, uh, you know, a supply shortage mm-hmm. and there was a boat stuck sideways in the Suez Canal for so long that backed everything else up, right? Yeah. It's kind of like the good Lord yeah. just kind of turned his back on us for about yeah. six mm-hmm. months there, you know? Yeah. Or, or, or he, maybe there are some things that happened to exacerbate mm-hmm. this and caused all this to happen at one time. Now, you might have- I, I saw uh, a, a little... Uh, a, video or cartoon the other day and it said uh you know 2023 mm-hmm. is only four months away mm-hmm. and i'm still trying to process 2019 <laughs> That's about the truth. Yeah. yeah i don't even want to think about what i endured in 2020 yeah. right uh-huh. uh it, so uh, you know time marches on mm-hmm. but sometimes we get marred and mired and because of that uh, you know, you you, uh, you you look up and you may be in a recession. So it's not the end of the world. There are some indicators that we're probably, you know, close to bottoming out or at least related to a number of these factors. Uh, I think the supply chain is starting to open mm-hmm. up a little bit. Uh, you know, people are talking about, you know, inflation uh, starting to come under control, some in certain uh, parts of the economy. And so maybe, yeah. maybe we're addressing this and maybe it's not mm-hmm. so bad, but go ahead and just tell us. Right. We're in a recession. You're handling it. You're coming through it. Not going to be the end of the world. We've had these before. Now, you made a statement earlier. We've had these before and we're going to have them again. Yes. And it's a natural part of our economic mm-hmm. setup. Yeah. Why do you say that we're going to have recessions, that it's a natural part of capitalism and how this whole democracy thing uh, feeds into and works with capitalism? Why? Well, I say it almost as, as assuredly as I say that the sun will rise tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, barring some un- unforeseen ab- event and we get hit by a meteorite and, mm-hmm. you know, destroys planet Earth, mm-hmm. right? Um, th- it's normal. Uh, the business cycle is normal. Mm-hmm. And they call it a cycle for a reason mm-hmm. because it cycles in a very specific and, and pattern, yeah. uh, in a pattern of, of ways. Now, sometimes it takes longer for that growth and expansion period. Mm. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit shorter, something, some kind of catalyst that, that, uh, that interrupts the business cycle. Like a war somewhere. Like a war okay. or like COVID, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that could interrupt the business cycle and, and kind of uh, throw you or cast you into recession a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. But it's very normal right. as far as the business cycle goes. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about these, uh, these studies where they've, they've put certain mm-hmm. enticements out there in front of children yeah. and watch how they work. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is working with adults in our capitalistic um, and, uh, society, uh, uh, the way that, that money flows. Mm-hmm. Just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should, mm-hmm. but there are some people who are going to overspend. Yeah, There are some people who mm-hmm. are going to build up too much debt. There are some uh, corporations that are going to be too freaking greedy. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to happen. And over time, all of that comes through the wash and comes through the system and slam. I had a, a discussion yesterday with my Boy Scouts, and I'm teaching a, a personal management merit badge, mm-hmm. which goes through a number of things like budgeting and insurance and investments and bank accounts and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. And, and one of the things that we discussed yesterday was – how how is what are your feelings about money? Number one is what we just discussed, and and number two, 
Um, if you have money in your pocket, how does that affect your spending? Mm. Mm. And it was a very interesting discussion. <laughs> yeah. So, so especially with you know eleven to fourteen year olds. Okay. So, how many of them do you think really can restrain themselves if they have money in their pocket? They walk in a convenience store, and you know there's a, a sell on blow pops, and they've got five bucks in their pocket. So for for most of them, I would say, well, I would say there's a handful, okay. right? Uh, maybe 20% that can restrain themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's really what our discussion boiled around was discipline, uh, right? Uh-huh. If you've got money coming in, uh, where does that money go? Mm-hmm. And we talked about charitable giving. We ch- talked about savings. We talked about, you know, regular budgetary items, that sort of thing. Mm. And, uh, and I talked, at, you know, at length about self-discipline. Okay. And what you have to do in order to discipline yourself. And there are ways that you can kind of help yourself discipline yourself. Right. And we talked about uh, grocery shopping. Mm. So at our Boy Scouts, for instance, um, as, as we get ready to go on campouts, they come up with their own menu, and then they, they make a list of the supplies and items that they need from the grocery right. store, right. and they cook as a patrol, right? And there's usually a group, uh, two or three of them, that will go shopping for the campout, no, that's right? that's good. That's good. So, uh, so as part of the budgeting aspect of it, mm-hmm. uh, I told them, you know, and I actually used you as an example, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, stating that, you know, if there's something that's not on your list, you've got to learn to do without, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And that's a way to discipline yourself, yeah. you know. So how did this conversation about discipline go mm. over with the modern children? I, I think they, they understood the concept. Mm-hmm. However, putting it into practice mm-hmm. is going to be a totally different thing. And, and that's right? exactly what is happening yeah. today and mm-hmm. every day in our economy. Right. Some people are disciplined. Some mm-hmm. people are frugal. Some people say. Yeah. Some people don't want to talk about it. And when they don't want to talk about it, and there are a few other million mm-hmm. who are acting the same way they are, there's all the this this money that is chasing these goods. Right. And over time, it's going to affect mm-hmm. GDP. Over time, it's going to affect inflation. Uh, now, I'm not blaming inflation on you, right? <laughs> or right. on you know the yeah. people who are listening. But the logic of how the system works mm-hmm. tells us that, you know, when you got all this money flowing out there and sometimes there's no logic to it. Mm-hmm. There's no logic at all sometimes how about, uh, about how we spend our money. Sometimes, you know, you, you follow somebody in a Dollar General or a convenience mm-hmm. store. Necessarily logical about how they, they spend their money. Well, it, first of all, you know, if you, you say something to them about it, they're going to bark back at you. It mm-hmm. ain't any of your business, right? That's right. It's, yeah. no, it's none of your business. But, you know, they may go in there one time and they pay for the gas mm-hmm. and they pick up a soft drink or a cup of coffee. That's kind of logical. And then the next time they, they go in there, they may pay for the gas and they may do mm-hmm. the soft drink, but they look over there and, you know, there's some kind of cake mm-hmm. that calls their name. Well, they just had breakfast. Yeah. It ain't yeah. logical that they need it. <laughs> right? So in our Bible study this morning, we were talking about uh, if a gas station just served 99-cent sausage and biscuits, mm-hmm. how much would their profits go up? Because people go in there to buy the 99-cent sausage and biscuit, but they also get a Coke and a candy bar and whatever else they're buying along with it. Yep. 
and the, and the, the whole retail establishment mm-hmm. of food understands the pro- the process and understands uh, the principle of mm-hmm. lost leaders. Yeah. Uh, suck you in there, buddy, mm-hmm. and then let yeah. you go wild with that cash mm-hmm. in your pocket. And it doesn't just happen to individuals. It happens to businesses. Sure it does. It happens to governments. And over time, it catches up with it. Up against a break here at the Advisors Roundtable, and when we come back, we're going to continue to this discussion, but I promised you it's going to apply to your wallet from the Advisors Roundtable. Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified Financial Planners, Cooley and Labus with you right here on Super Talk Radio. So we've been talking about inflation and inverted yield curves and wars in Ukraine and reasons that we may have a recession, all those things. Let me give you a statistic of hope here, Bubba. Okay. Over the last 25 years, including last year, okay, guess how many new millionaires are created every day in America? Now, over the last 25 years, we've had two or three recessions. Mm -hmm. We've had two or three presidential elections. We've had some natural disasters. We've had pandemics, right? Mm -hmm. We've had stock market crashes where the stock market went down 50% in the last 25 years. And despite all that, guess how many new millionaires are created every day in America? On I'm, average. I'm going to say 1,000. 1,700. Ooh, okay. I was all right. 1,700 yeah. new millionaires every, every day. doggone day. Now, it's every day of the calendar. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know how you get created uh, as a millionaire on Saturday and Sunday, right. but whatever. You know, maybe yeah. you're in the retail business yeah. or something. But 1,700 new millionaires mm-hmm. every day, despite recession, yeah. despite pandemic, despite stock market issues. Now, how does that happen? First of all, are we lying? No, this is uh, U.S. government statistics here. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you take it up with them if you think they're lying. But, you know, I, I backed it up by Bloomberg and CNBC and Investopedia. So that's over half a million people a year become, become millionaires. millionaires. Right. Yeah. In what's, America. What's the number of millionaires presently? 29 million. 29 million Americans. So 29 million Americans are millionaires. So that would be... Ten percent of the population, Close well, to probably eight. Yeah, we're around yeah. what three three hundred forty million somewhere yeah. in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. millionaires. Now, if you were to stop the average person on the street on their way to work, mm-hmm. you know, right at the intersection, you just ran out there, uh, ask them a quick question before the light changed. Why are you going to work? Mm-hmm. What do you think the answer would be? Just a quick answer. That's just what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed right. to go to work. Yeah. Uh, I need the money. The, the Got to gotta make the donuts. The, the, the wolf's at the door. Uh, the wife said mm-hmm. I had to. But in, in the back of your mind, don't you have some hope that there may be something mm-hmm. to show from this? Do you think most people aspire to at least be a half millionaire? I, I think most people aspire for more than that. think so. Yeah. All right. In fact, this is another exercise I did with my, my Boy Scouts last night. Oh, really? So they're all uh, pretty young. I said, by the age of 60 mm-hmm. for you guys, right? Mm-hmm. Which is 47 years from now for most of them. Okay. What would you have to put into an account earning 8% interest in order to be a millionaire by age 60? If you started right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to put the money in daily, monthly, weekly. Year, weekly. Put the money in weekly. How much do you have to put in every week 
in order to be a millionaire by the time you're age 60. All right. Did Now, you told them the answer later. I did. Okay. Before you told them the answer, mm-hmm. were most of their answers high? Most of them were high. Because they didn't consider that effect of the eighth wonder of the world, which is compounding interest, (laughs) right? Um, And I had a couple of answers, I think, that said, you know, $1,000 or $25,000 or, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And when I told them $36 a week, all of them, like a light went off in their head. Huh, I could do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. $36 a week. That's Mm -hmm. what, one or two mowed yards? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh? Right. Now, and- I did have one or two also say, but then you've got other bills that you got to pay along the way, too. Uh, I said, yeah, that's the yeah. problem. That's yeah. a, that can be the problem. Mm-hmm. Or you have all these other enticements mm-hmm. that we talked about a minute ago. Yeah. Walking in the convenience yeah. store and the cake over there calls your name. 36- Which is why I talked about the four-wheeler and the rifle, right? <laughs> said, you've got $8,000 saved up in your, uh, your account over a couple of years, and then all of a sudden that four-wheeler's calling your name. Yeah. And then you go spend that on a four-wheeler, and then you start all over again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep, yep. My wife is pretty good with, with, with discipline, and she's, she, you know, we're a team here, and, and I think we've done real well, and we've all, you know, we, 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 I'm, I'm complimentary. Except for the fact there's, there's one instance in the whole universe that my wife hears her name called by something. And it's when she drives by that donut shop and the light's on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain brand of donut. Hey, I, you know, I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah. when, when they know they're warm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Karen. Yeah. Karen. And my wife, Karen, mm-hmm. can hear it. And, yeah. and the car. Just... I bet I could eat a dozen <laughs> hot donuts. Yeah. yeah, at least two or three, right? And so we all have that temptation, and we, and we have that working for us. And so here you are. You've got 1,700 people, new millionaires every day. So here's the question. What makes them different? How do they do the discipline thing? What decisions did they make? Uh, what, what's their personality characteristic? Why them and not me, Bubba? Are they just rich, mm-hmm. right? Maybe Are they rich? Started that way. Maybe do they? They have. Maybe they're all doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Doctors make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, you think think all doctors just because mm-hmm. they got the MD know how right. to save, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and uh, all ditch diggers don't. Well, right. let me tell you, mm-hmm. I, got, I know a whole lot of ditch diggers. Yeah. Who are millionaires? Mm-hmm. Right. So we don't need to characterize or, or categorize them incorrectly, but they are categorized. Mm-hmm. So I did a little research. A, a guy who's a fellow financial uh, advisor who also writes books, he doesn't do radio. He writes books with his time uh, and his interest in, in uh, giving financial literacy to America. And his name is Tom Corley. And Tom spent the last 25 years looking around for... Uh, habits and personality traits of millionaires. Mm-hmm. And over the last 25 years, he asked 225 millionaires a bunch of different questions. And he came out with uh, this uh, Rich Habits Study. You can Google it. Okay. The Rich Habits Study to explore how uh, the world's wealthiest people think about money, think about possessions, their personality types. They basically are categorized into four categories. Okay. Okay. 
Number one are the saver investor people that didn't start with a whole lot of money. No matter what their day job, these people made it a routine to save and invest. And they're, they're constantly thinking about smarter ways to make their money grow. Mm-hmm. All right? Those are saver investors. You may have one or two in your Boy Scout troop. Right. Okay? And think about your Boy Scout troop as I talk about yeah. these personality uh, categories and see how they actually are, if they're in any of these. Number one, saver investor. Number two, the company climbers. These are people who go to work for a big company. They devote their time and energy to climbing corporate ladder, and boom, they become senior executives, and, man, they're getting all those stock options and doing well and maybe getting a high salary and investing in the company stock, company climbers. Number three, the virtuosos. These are the people who are among the best at what they do. They may be a really talented singer, and they had a couple of songs or an album that hit it. They may be uh, really talented as a surgeon, and they get paid a whole lot of money based on their expertise and their knowledge. And some of them have advanced degrees, so they do have formal education, but it's not a requirement for virtuosos. Number four... The dreamers. These are individuals who have a specific dream uh, and they pursue the dream, maybe even starting their own business. Some like drop out of Harvard Mm -hmm. and start a little computer company. Right. The next thing you know, you got Microsoft Mm -hmm. and Bill Gates. Uh, so these are the dreamers. These are the people that a lot of times get and, and, and we see in the headlines. Okay, so let's review. You got the saver investors, the company climbers, the virtuosos, and the dreamers. All right. Now, these are categories of millionaires mm-hmm. in America, or at least this, uh, these 225 millionaires that Tom went out and, and did um, uh, some interviews of. He says 88% of the million, millionaires that I interviewed said that saving, in particular, was critical to their long-term financial success. Mm -hmm. In other words, 88% said, I didn't get this boom and wake up the next day and there's a million dollars in my account. Now, 12%, I guess they did. Mm -hmm. Those virtuosos or dreamers, they may have had. They were an overnight success. Mm -hmm. But 88% of those people who are becoming millionaires, so let's do the quick math. If 1,700 of them a day are becoming millionaires, and we apply this statistic to it, 88% of those, Mm -hmm. then that tells me somewhere around 14, 1,500 of them are doing it the old-fashioned way. They're saving. Yeah. It took the average millionaire in the study 19 years to get the first million. Okay. Okay? 20 years to become a millionaire on average. On average. All right. Some of them were overnight, like mm-hmm. the virtuosos or the dreamers, and then some of them had to save the $36 over the... 47 years. 47 yep. years, and some people figured it out. You know, if it's 36 over 47, what if I made it 75? Mm-hmm. Huh? Or maybe I made it $100 right. a week. How quickly could I get there? Mm-hmm. All right? And so it took them a while to accumulate it. All right? The average net worth... Of the average millionaire in America is $7 million. Okay. Now, some people are worth $1 million, $1.3 million, and some people are worth a billion. Mm-hmm. But the average is $7 million. All right? 
Now, you may be asking yourself how they do it and what are their habits. What does it go to being one of these people? We're going to tell you in the next spot, in the next after this next break from the Advisors Roundtable. Thanks for coming back to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified Financial Planners, Cooley and Labus with you here on Super Talk Radio. We're we talking about, yeah, there are all these winds of recession around us and supply chain issues and the great resignation, but still, 1,700 people a day are becoming millionaires. And how could I possibly do that sometime during my lifetime? So, first of all, what would be the benefit of Greg Cooley becoming a millionaire? Is it just because I'm greedy and, and I'm competitive and I don't want you to get there faster than me or I heard that Phil's already there and I'm not going to let him outdo mm-hmm. me? Uh, and some people are motivated that way. But what's the benefit of Greg Cooley becoming a millionaire? I, I think it comes down to freedom, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what does being a millionaire allow you to do okay. uh, that other people don't have the opportunity to do? Okay. Right? Right. Then again, uh, what did you have to do to become a millionaire to give you the freedom to do the things that you want to do? And that's what we're going to talk about. So, yes, on one side, it gives me freedom. It's just not a number that maybe motivates Mm -hmm. everybody become greedy or because they want to be rich. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are doing this. They don't necessarily have a million dollar goal in mind. Maybe it's 10 million or maybe they don't really have a goal Mm -hmm. in mind. They just know this is something that is part of who they are and what they should do and the freedom it could give Mm -hmm. and the things they could do for other people. It's not just about me. For many of these Mm -hmm. people, it says that 60% 60% of them have organized philanthropy. Now, right. what does that mean? means that they know who they're giving money to on a charitable basis mm-hmm. and how much and why they're doing it. Now, wouldn't that be great? I, I think so. To be yeah. able to organize your philanthropy. I, I hate to keep throwing it back to this discussion that I had last night, but I mean, it's like right on track with everything. So we... We talked about the Good Samaritan last mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. and how, you know, the first two who I think were priests, you know, walked by the guy that was beat up and laid out in the middle of the street. And then mm-hmm. the Samaritan walks by. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was able to help because he had the money. Mm-hmm. It's a really good practical point yeah. there. Maybe it was, you know, maybe, maybe he did have a better heart. Yeah. But maybe his better heart mm-hmm. was allowed to act if he had a little cash. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, it's a great point there. So what are some characteristics of these people, these 1,700 people who become millionaires every day? Number one, they automate the process. Mm-hmm. 92%, 92% of them say they automate the process. What does that mean? means that uh, you set it up in a, in a methodical way that you know that it's going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. So if it's savings, right, Mm -hmm. in your 401k, you set it up to automatically uh, take money out of your check Mm -hmm. every payroll period, and it goes right into an account. Yep. Or you you set up a a direct uh, deposit into your investment account Mm -hmm. out of your bank account. Mm -hmm. You automate it so that it happens without you even thinking about it. That's exactly right. It says they automate not just Mm -hmm. the savings investing. They automate as much as possible the bill paying Mm -hmm. because it reduces stress and frustration mm-hmm. and gives you something else, which is time, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is a very, very valuable commodity. Yep. Yep. 
So you may be sitting out there thinking, you know what, I, I need to set that up automatically. I mm-hmm. need to have that 401k coming out of my paycheck, and I need to put a little extra over in mm-hmm. my mad money account at the bank, that savings account uh, there. I'm going to set that up. Uh, give me some goals to work toward. Well, these uh, millionaires, on average, save 20%. Mm-hmm. Said the average millionaire started at four percent right years ago, worked their way up to twenty percent. The They're, key point, though, is they started mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. which gets back to that question that I had or that uh, point that I had about discipline. Mm-hmm. You've got to discipline yourself in order to do it. All right, so let's say old Daddy Warbucks, old mm-hmm. Phil over there, says I ain't got the money to be able to save twenty percent. The heck with that, and he just turns around, walks out of the room, yeah. and doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. But his brother says, well, I don't have the 20% to start now, but I'll start at the four. Mm -hmm. Because that was motivational if those other people did it. That's right. And then every year I'll increase it by 1%. Next year I'll do 5%. And the next Mm -hmm. year I'll do 6%. Before long, after 10 years, I'm doing 14% of what I make. And did I really miss an extra 1% a year? Probably not. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first thing they do, they say they automate the process. The second thing they do, they say that they regularly invest despite the economy. Mm-hmm. Okay? Is it advantageous sometimes when the stock market goes down if you're regularly putting the money in? I had this conversation with it. I can't tell you how many folks. Back when COVID hit, right? It was 2020, yeah. the start of a new decade, right? Right, right. right. And we had a what I would consider a flash crash in the market of 20% or greater. Okay. And I said, this is probably one of the buying events that we've, the greatest buying events that we'll have this decade. And you said that to somebody when their account was down 50%? Well, no, it wasn't down that much, but it was down probably 25%. Really? Yeah. And nobody's. And they to, said, oh, you're crazy. You know, that nobody the, threw yeah. anything at right. it. Right. Huh? Yeah. Okay. But were you right? I think so. Mm-hmm. And and based on history and the way things uh, occur, I think uh, over a period of time, mm-hmm. it's probably going to pan out to, to say that, yeah, COVID, mm-hmm. uh, even this, this most recent downturn in the uh, economy is going to show to be pretty good buying opportunity. Yeah, especially if you've got a long-term time right. horizon, right? And mm-hmm. you do it consistently. Yeah. You're putting in that 10% every page. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you're buying more shares. Right. Because if it costs less, Mm -hmm. you're buying more. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. But you're doing it consistently, and these millionaires tell you that's the way you do it. You automate it. You do it. You don't just automate it, but you continue to let it be automated, even the bad times. Yeah. Even the good times. Just don't pay attention. Mm -hmm. Stay focused. Stay dedicated. All right. Third point. When it comes to spending, they are frugal but not cheap. Mm-hmm. All right, so don't you think most of the time in our vernacular we use those two uh, words kind of interchangeable? As, as, as the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many times I tell people, I say, good things aren't cheap and cheap things aren't good. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you're not, you know, a miser. Yeah. They're not misers. Mm-hmm. Many of these people drive around in nice cars. Right. Okay. So what does it mean to be frugal? I looked it mm-hmm. up. All right. 
Frugal is made up of these three characteristics. Awareness, focus on quality, and bargain shopping. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, if you're cheap, that means you, you don't spend anything. Right. That didn't say they don't spend money. It says they're aware, being aware of how you spend money, what you mm -hmm. really need as opposed to what you want. Full awareness of every little dollar's a soldier, and you mm -hmm. give them a task. Okay? Second, focus on quality. Spending your money on quality products, like Bubba said. Yeah. Good things aren't cheap. Cheap things aren't good. That, that, I'd say 90% of the time in your adult life, that's going to be true. Yeah. You get ready to buy a car. And I've, I've experienced both. Really? But a, a, a very good example, and I'm not making a plug for a specific kind of shoe here, mm -hmm. but I buy a type of dress shoe that's pretty expensive, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. I mean, they retail for $300 dollars $325, somewhere in that range, okay. right? Mm -hmm. But I've got pairs of these dress shoes that are probably 25 years old mm -hmm. because I've been able to resole them and recondition them, et cetera, et cetera, over that time period. And they're still great and look good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, true. Tools are that mm -hmm. way. I mean, there are a number of things. You buy quality, and it's going to be around forever. In fact... When Papa dies, mm -hmm. one of the things you might want is his old refrigerator that's still running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Or his pocket knife yeah. that he bought that's a mm. certain name brand from nineteen forty four. Sure. So focus on quality. And last, bargain shopping. Spending the least amount possible, but still getting something mm -hmm. that is quality at an attractive price. And people who do these things are called frugal mm -hmm. and people who are consistently frugal are called millionaires yep. and if you want to be one of those forget all the headlines about the recession forget all the headlines about the high interest rates and the war in ukraine set it on autopilot keep your nose mm -hmm. to the grindstone maybe you too will be one of those one of these days and all of that from the advisors roundtable on super talk radio Discussion and content expressed by the host of the Advisors Roundtable are intended to be received as news, educational, and entertainment or unit items and are not to be accepted by the listener as legal, investment, insurance, or tax advice. Opinions and views will be expressed by guests of the Advisors Roundtable, and those opinions and views are those of the guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Advisors Roundtable host or any of its affiliated radio stations. All information provided is educational in nature and is not intended to be acted upon without first consulting the appropriately licensed professional of your choosing. Before acting upon any information obtained during an advisor's roundtable broadcast, an individual should understand matters are extremely tax-specific and require advice tailored to individual facts and needs. Certified financial planners Greg Cooley and Andrew Labus are registered representatives of S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated. Securities offered through S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Ignite Planners LLC. Ignite Planners LLC is not affiliated with S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated.